for tuning in to episode 59 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. And again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. Okay, and can I just say imposter syndrome alert. I am recording this for the third time, this next little chunk after that intro, um, because boy, I just have such a hard time at times of the, the number of times where I was just saying, uh, hey, go to tonyoverbay.com and sign up to find out more about exciting new programs that I'm developing on um, living with a narcissist or on couples communication or on premarital counseling or on how to be a better, better parent. All these things that I am so passionate about and I am so grateful for the to have this platform and this opportunity to share um, a lot of the things that I've been fortunate enough to learn through training and through thousands of hours on in my chair um, talking with people about all these different topics. But but uh, boy, imposter syndrome, though, of the, you know, please uh, go go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up for this or or head over to the Virtual Couch Instagram account or the Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Facebook account. Um, but uh, so I want you to know that as I'm sharing that, that it is it is even difficult, even though I love what I do. Uh, but please do stop by there or you can email me at contact at TonyOverbay.com. If you have ideas for the podcast, if you have questions for upcoming Q&A episodes, um, would love to, to hear some feedback as well. I think I've shared before. It's difficult at times to get back to everybody, but I do read everything and I love the feedback. And I am so grateful to be partnered with the folks at bloomforwomen.com. As I've shared in numerous episodes now at the beginning, bloomforwomen.com. Bloom offers online programs, expert help, and, and an empathetic community to help women heal, strengthen, and grow past the trauma of infidelity and betrayal, whether it's betrayal from a spouse who may have a pornography addiction or a sex addiction, or from the emotional betrayal of an affair. But please go to bloomforwomen.com and you can use a coupon code. It's virtual couch, all one word. That gives you one month free access to all of their evidence-based programs and their entire community that's designed to help heal and recover from betrayal trauma. And I continue to hear amazing things and I continue to um, to, to stay in touch with the folks who have put on bloomforwomen.com and uh, hope to be able to do a lot more with them in the future because they are doing amazing things just to help. And this episode is also brought to you by the fine folks at Eli's Extracts. They make an all-natural organic shave cream. Visit Eli's, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S.com and use coupon code virtualcouch for 25% off your entire order of all of their all-natural organic shave creams that are scented with essential oils. And uh, so here we go. I have been waiting to do something on this topic for a long time. I've been wanting to do a podcast on procrastination, but I've been putting it off. I had to do that. I had to do that joke. And uh, boy, it didn't quite pack the power that I thought it would. Um, still, I think I wish I had a snare drum or one of those kind of little things like the rim shot, whatever that is. Um, hopefully you caught that joke even. Anybody been wanting to do a podcast on procrastination, putting it off? Okay, well, let's move on. So many, many years ago, I picked up a book called Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, A Field Guide to Finally Getting Started. And this book is by an author named Timothy Pitchell. He's a PhD. He runs a website called procrastination.ca. He's a psychologist. He also has a the I Procrastinate podcast, which has been downloaded by millions of people. And I've listened to many of those episodes. And he just has a very, very, um, he, he's witty and has a nice way to put a lot of the research that he does around procrastination into easily 
easily digestible chunks. So if procrastination is something that you have been struggling with, then I highly recommend the I Procrastinate podcast series and the book Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. And there are a lot of good books out there on procrastination, I have to tell you. There's one that's, um, boy, it's 20-something years old now, I believe. And I'm looking over at my bookshelf. I think I've got it somewhere here. The Power of Now, that might be it. And I apologize if I'm getting that wrong. I'll throw it in the the notes. But uh, just a lot of things that have been written about procrastination because it is such an epidemic. And so, I mean, how often do you find yourself putting things off until tomorrow? And then the hard part is, does tomorrow even come? Or are there times where you have just a little bit of time and then you cross this magical line of, well, there's not enough time to get started. So again, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it later. And so I think a lot of us can understand if we have self-awareness of, what, what causes us to procrastinate. But sometimes I don't think we have we necessarily have an idea of how much it can negatively affect our lives. And so that's why I believe it's something to bring awareness to, and especially in your daily life. If this is something that you struggle with, uh, remember, um, if you've kind of built up to this many episodes of the Virtual Couch podcast, let's let's kind of remove the, the shame out of that. Guilt, that's okay. You know, I feel guilty often that I put things off. But the shame, the part that says, hey, by the way, you're a horrible person and you're never going to get this thing fixed, um, that's the stuff we need to shed. So I already want you to kind of get rid of any of the shame around procrastination. And our whole goal is that we're hoping that we can develop a little bit of awareness today. So let me start with um, let me start with this book, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle: A Field Guide to Finally Getting Started. Uh, this it, Tim Pitchell, this PhD, uh, said that this book is actually based on nearly twenty years of procrastination research. That is an awful lot, and I feel like there's a procrastination joke in there somewhere, but I kind of can't get to it. Um, twenty years of procrastination research equates to maybe two years of full research, but that's probably offensive to uh, to Dr. Pitchell. So I take that back. But he's been writing about procrastination, as I mentioned earlier, for a long time. And so this book, uh, he says, is for anybody that puts things off or believe that they work better under pressure. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, uh, because I think that I even will say that at times, that, that I have to wait until the end, and then that's when I can get something done. But, uh, but is that actually working for us in our lives if we really bring a lot of self-awareness around it? So anybody that feels that way, tune in. But it's, a, it's full of research-supported explanations on why we procrastinate, how our mind tricks us into misjudging our abilities. And, um, you know, and, and again, Pitchell is very easy to understand. And it's a very small book, which is funny. He said early on that it's important not to have this overwhelming, daunting book about procrastination. Or guess what? You will put it off. So in solving the procrastination puzzle, you, you learn a big difference between experiencing a delay and then procrastinating tasks. And then also it's important to note that how procrastination, if we're, if we're pretty used to doing it on a daily basis, it seems, I mean, it can seem seemingly harmless or even the consequences don't seem big at the moment, but how it, he, Dr. Pitchell shows a nice um, path of how they actually compound over time and they kind of affect our own personal well-being. I, I feel like they procrastinating eventually takes quite a hit on our emotional baseline and those around you being able to count on you or, uh, you, you know, can believe that you are going to do what you say. So the book has a lot of tips and we'll go into some of those as well. And he uses real life examples and, and strategies, that sort of thing that, that makes sense to anybody. So I want to start with that. Is procrastination really a problem? So research is showing that procrastination, quite frankly, one of the, the biggest culprits is it often leads to not your best work. Again, despite people's claims of working well under pressure, it also leads to poor health. And, uh, and actually, the, the concept of procrastination, and this might seem like an obvious statement, won't likely make you feel any happier overall the more that you put things off. So um, Pitchell explains procrastination is a problem 
with not getting on with life itself. When we procrastinate our goals, we're our own worst enemy because these are our goals. When we procrastinate on our goals, we are basically putting off our lives. And I want to talk a little bit about too. I, here's my theory, and I am I am putting that out there. My theory, I do not have evidence-based research around this, but I do so much work around how habits are formed. Um, you know, I, I love that book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. We've got that concept of this little walnut-sized uh, area of our brain called the basal ganglia, which is when something becomes habitual, we put it into that basal ganglia so that our brain doesn't even have to think much about it. It just turns to this habit center and kind of pulls out a habit. And, and I believe that as I do work with procrastination and I look at habit and the patterns of behavior, our brain is a, is a brain that enjoys patterns, that oftentimes this I will work best under pressure, I believe, starts to become a habitual principle. I know in my own life that, I, and I remember when I look back on this, when, before I became a therapist, I think I've shared that I did 10 years in the computer software industry. And there were times, this was quite a while ago, where we would stop by the office and then we were going on a trip and we were going to go overseas. Japan uh, was a, a big destination that I, I went to often or throughout Europe or doing a trade show somewhere around the world. And oftentimes I would have one or two hours before uh, we had a shuttle that was coming to pick us up or something to take us to the airport. And I remember that I never felt like so alive than I did with that hour to go or hour and a half to go before at that time, I was literally going to be cut off from civilization for about a 24 hour period. And then even even more so, this was still a little bit before it was so, you know, cell phones were as abundant and, uh, and internet was not as, uh, it wasn't everywhere and it wasn't reliable, especially when you went overseas. And so in those times, I felt like I could, I used to wish that I could just simulate that feeling. And I think that that's a little bit of that. Um, I would get that dopamine rush and that I would just, you know, that that's when my brain would kind of feel alive of like, I've got this just firm, tight deadline. And I used to wish that I could put that in place and, and, you know, simulate that throughout the week. And I've tried a lot of times. The problem is though, and this is one of the big problems with what you'll read about procrastination research is when we just tell ourselves, well, just tell us, you know, tell yourself that your research paper is due three days earlier. Well, guess what? Your brain is no dummy. So your brain is going to say, yeah, it's not the case. And it's going to just still, you know, cause you to procrastinate. So, you know, this is procrastination is something that you must take action on. And so that's why I like what Pitchell says is it's, it's a problem with not getting on with life itself. When we procrastinate our goals, we, these are our goals. And so when we, when we think about, I'll put this off for until tomorrow, the concept is we need to start believing in that. What if tomorrow never comes and, and why it is important or why it feels so good to say that we'll do something later, even if we know it's not a good idea in general. For example, when you decide to put work off now, I want you to think about this. What you're doing is re you're rewarding yourself in the moment because, Hey, I just create a free time and your intention is that you will do this tomorrow. And it actually leads you to rewarding yourself because you feel like you're being proactive that, okay, I may not get to it right now, but I'm, I'm on it tomorrow. I will do this thing. So then procrastination, and I think this is important, becomes a way to manufacture your own short-term happiness. It's a coping mechanism for dealing with the stress that you're actually creating for yourself by not following on your goal. So I think that's a, an important concept. So if you find yourself often saying, I work best under pressure. Or if you find yourself saying, you know what, I'm just going to tomorrow, I'm going to do it tomorrow and I'm going to be on top of it tomorrow. So I want to, I want to kind of note those things that those are not, those are not productive evidence-based methodologies. So he also has a chapter called willpower, willpower. If we only had the willpower and what we learn is that building willpower is very much like building a muscle. If you don't exercise this this willpower muscle, it won't get any stronger. And your willpower can also be exhausted and it can make procrastination this endless loop 
of this sort of lost motivation. So the, the problem is that when you don't exercise your willpower, you're actually creating your own problem because here your willpower muscle is not strong. So therefore that willpower fades. And at that moment, we need to stop and remember why it was important for us to do the task in the first place. Focus on the attention, not on the way you feel in the moment because that, and I hope you're following me with that, when we don't exercise that willpower muscle, now all of a sudden here comes that shame of like, man, you have no willpower. You cannot get out of this. And all of a sudden we're not thinking about the task, the thing we need to do. We're beating ourselves up because we aren't doing the thing. So we get, we just get stuck in the way that we feel in that moment. All right, here comes a plug for mindfulness, right? That's just a feeling. It's just a thought. And, and our, our body is so good at when we have these negative feelings, then we just think, man, we're, we're, we're worthless. We're never going to get through this. So we have to learn how to just note that is just a thought. That's a feeling. And as a matter of fact, your brain kind of just hijack you from doing anything, making, making progress on a goal or a task because that, you know, well, I didn't do it and look at me. I can never do it. And here comes that shame. And again, shame is not good. So, um, one of the things that I think was important about this book is also, um, Pitchell talks about how you know, we, we always have this concept of, I need motivation. You know, I, I, I got to get myself up for doing whatever the task is. And I'm sure at this point you can see where I'm going with this probably already, but the concept of needing mo- motivation is an excuse in and of itself because that I need motivation is I will find motivation tomorrow. Um, Pitchell suggests a really simple mantra to avoid falling into this. I need motivation to get started thing that we tell ourselves. He says, and I love this, listen to this one. My current motivational state does not need to match my intention in order to act. So just let that one sink in, right? My current motivational state, which I will add when we don't want to do something, is typically not very motivated, does not need to match my intention in order to act. So if I'm feeling pretty lazy, but I really do know that I need to get something done, they don't have to, to match up. They don't have to line up in order to get moving. This is a, this is a, a common misconception about going after our goals. We believe that we actually have to feel something. This and this all oh, it gets me I you know this I hear this every day in my practice. It's like I when I when I finally feel something, then I will do whatever the the thing is that I'm, you know, that I'm here in therapy talking about. It's like, you know, I'm not really up for um let's just say exercise right now. I kind of got to get my my head around it or I kind of need to get in a little bit better shape or you know, I kind of just got to uh just kind of get myself in a better uh, emotional state. And so the thing is, we're, we're setting these, these just not tangible, ambiguous marks out there in the future that, that we're going to understand at some point that, okay, now I know, now I can start. Now I can start with whatever the project is. Now I can start exercising. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now I will start the diet, whatever it is. So if we're waiting, if we believe we have to feel this, this tangible thing to then know and begin, begin the new behavior, begin working on the project, we're not going to feel it. I mean, there's so many times that we're not. So with many of those tasks in our lives, we won't feel like it ever. So that the thing is, our motivational state does not need to match our intention. We can do something even if we don't feel like it. And I know as a parent, you know, a lot of times we're trying to teach that to our kids that, uh, and it's hard to do that, you know, and, and we usually do it in the, when I used to, you know, when I was a kid and walking uphill both ways in the winter and no shoes on broken glass. And, you know, I didn't want to do that, but I just had to do it. So that one sometimes doesn't quite have the impact that it does of, yeah, I know, you know, I know champ that you don't want to go, you know, you don't want to get up and do any homework right now. And that's, you know, and, and that's okay. It's still, you can still get started with it. So, so we finally, you know, somewhere along that way, we forget, we, we forget that, um, we just have to just do things sometimes. Now that can feel overwhelming and daunting in of itself, 
but motivation can come from just getting started and just building a tiny little bit of momentum. And I remember when I first read this book, one of the first things I took away was just the concept of writing and starting to get to write. You know, what are the things that you need to do to start to write? And, and it is literally as simple as if you're doing it on a computer, get your computer out, open up the computer, open up a document, put your name on the top, whatever it takes. Or if you're writing, you know, get the pencil, get the paper. That's just move to that point. This is where we go back to that goal setting or decision making. When we're looking, we're sitting here at point A and we're already thinking that we got to know what point Z is going to look like. A to B is getting the computer out. B to C is launching the Word document. So, and, and Pitchell has something that he calls, it's a technique called implementation intention. Again, that's implementation intention. Essentially, it's an if-then trigger that you create for yourself. So, for example, if you find yourself at work thinking, I don't feel like doing this, then you tell yourself that you only have to work on it for a few minutes. Get rid of that all or nothing black and white thinking. Um, you know, as, as I'm just saying, getting started is everything. And, and you have to believe that even a few minutes of work is better than nothing at all. This is where you have to start having some self-awareness. And, and, and not beating yourself up, getting rid of that shame and recognizing that, honest to goodness, if I do something for five minutes today that I, that I didn't want to do, that is progress. So instead of letting shame say, yeah, it's only five minutes, you still didn't finish the, the job, that's where we got to use some nice mindfulness techniques and just say that five minutes is okay. So this implementation intention, if then, if you find yourself thinking, I don't feel like doing it, then just tell yourself you only need to do it for a few minutes. Just just run with that um, and, and then start to give yourself credit and, and remove that shame. So getting started really is everything. I mean, I feel like that is the biggest takeaway that I have had from a lot of reading and research on procrastination is that we really do need to just, just begin. Um, take away that thought that we work best under pressure because in that moment, uh, you know, have we created our, in ourselves a habitual pattern that says that at that very last minute, now all of a sudden our brain will kind of throw out a little more dopamine that way, give it a little uh, rush or bump. And now all of a sudden we, we just, you know, we do something as quickly as we can, oftentimes not being our actual best work. Just try to break things down in chunks and start to move a little bit more forward each day. Um, Pitchell had on the procrastination.ca a link to, I was looking at just the latest research that he was pointing to. And I love this concept. I don't know if you've heard of this concept of productive procrastination, but uh, it's it's kind of been a little bit of a buzz over the last few years. There were a couple of studies out that said that procrastination can indeed be productive. And I think it was kind of playing off of this working best under pressure. But um, Pitchell, who, and I, and I love this, Pitchell said that uh, even despite that this habit, this productive procrastination myth or habit has gained some buoyancy. A, um, in, in, in essence, there's a handful of psychologists that say that pushing work off can be beneficial because it enhances creativity. But uh, what Pitchell says is that um, this is, he's pretty bold, oxymoronic, nonsensical, and fraught. He said, everybody wants to find virtue in human weakness. Uh, in his latest paper, co-authored with a fellow Carlton researcher, um, a person with the last name Chowdhury. He challenges and debunks the notion of active procrastination by attempting to replicate a 2005 study that, that underlied this concept. And he cites previous research that found that procrastination is usually harmful, sometimes harmless, but never helpful. That being the key. Um, there's a, there is a lot of research that found that finds that procrastination is never helpful. So indeed, you know, he kind of goes into this meta analysis of all this research and shows that procrastination can be tied to low self-control or performance 
um, and just fewer signs of well-being. Procrastinators typically struggle with feelings of guilt and stress and self-blame, and their relationships can suffer if their procrastination is chronic. And I do see that as a marriage therapist as a problem with a lot of marriages. So he said that researchers who promote active procrastination, where the decision to delay work is deliberate and tighter deadline pressure is purposefully used as a motivator, say it can lead to um, higher performance and improved health. But Pitchell says that there's a disconnect between their thinking. He said he wouldn't call that behavior procrastination at all. Procrastination is having an intention to do something and then putting it off, even though you're going to be worse off it for the delay. He said if the delay is deliberate and the outcomes are positive, then that's not procrastination. It's just what he called purpose, purposeful delay, which then got into a whole uh, pretty neat research paper that he did um, at the uh, institute that he works at. He had a student um, do a doctoral project on types of delay. And I thought this was pretty fascinating. I think it helps. So um, to understand where Pitchell's coming from, he said it's useful to consider all the reasons people put off necessary if unpleasant tasks and give those delays a label. And I think if this is a nice takeaway from hopefully from the podcast today is just having some awareness around this. Um, he said that a researcher at Carlton who also worked with Pitchell as a doctoral student developed this uh, typology of delays. This guy's name is uh, Mohsen Hagman. He said building on previous research and surveys of his own stu students, he found that there were these six types of delays. The first one he said was an inevitable delay. So an inevitable delay arises when somebody's schedule is overloaded or disrupted by another obligation or need. So again, our goal as far as with regard to procrastination is just to recognize and, and have some awareness around why are you delaying? You know, are you just putting something off or are there legitimate delays that then we don't want to beat ourselves up about and we just want to kind of, you know, move forward? So the first one, inevitable delay. So when your schedule's overloaded or disrupted by another obligation or a need. Number two, he said arousal delays, which occur when a person decides that they'd be more motivated to do something at the last minute. So, you know, this is this last minute, just uh, kind of on a whim, I'm going to do something different. The third one, he says hedonistic delays. Uh, remember, hedonism is kind of just about what, what feels best. So he said this, this is what something that happens when a person chooses to do something else than the task at hand because of the instant gratification factor. So difference there, arousal delay is like just, just kind of getting caught up in a, in a thought or something in the last moment and then just in acting on it. Not, you know, in the mindfulness world, we would say we note that we feel like doing something different, but we don't actually do something different. Hedonistic delay is I just want instant gratification. There's delays due to psychological problems such as grief or another mood or a mental health condition, and whether those are chronic or acute. Um, the fifth is purposeful delays commonly required when a person needs to think about an issue or a creative work before getting down to the act of writing or producing something. And then the last one is an irrational delay, which are the inexplicable to the procrastinator, often fueled by fear of failure and anxiety. So the irrational delays are really the ones that we are kind of looking at. And I love what, uh, what the researcher said. He said, in practice, these categories aren't mutually exclusive, like an irrational delay might also be tinged with a little bit of a hedonistic urge. And not all, so not all these delays are a form of procrastination. If an employee misses a deadline because his manager interrupts him with another, hey, drop everything else and do this kind of a task, he suffered an inevitable delay without the onset of procrastination. So therefore, let's not beat ourselves up about it. A slowdown in productivity after a death in the family might point to a person who is in maybe some type of like a fog of grief, but that wouldn't suggest procrastination. So, so Pitchell ar argues that purposeful delay is not procrastination. So when people intentionally push back their initial attack of a project or a task in order to get more knowledge or to let their ideas gel, what it really means, he said, is that we've taken this important job called thinking and now we've called it active procrastination. So I love that. So it's important to recognize what type of delay that you're putting in your life 
that causes this procrastination. And I feel like most of us are going to find that it's these, um, you know, it's either this arousal delay where at the last minute we just think of something and we just act on it. Oh, we're spontaneous, right? Um, spontaneous to the point of not getting something done and delaying action toward our own goal. A hedonistic delay. This is when we just want instant gratification. Uh, we just want that, that bump of dopamine in our brain. And so we just, we just choose that. And again, these are all things we can work through with the concept of mindfulness, of noting that I just want to go watch dog fail videos, or I just want to go, I don't know, just eat a bowl of ice cream. But those are just delays that we just want because we want that instant gratification. And then the last one would be then that to watch out for is those irrational delays. So those are the ones that are fueled by fear or failure or anxiety. The key then being noting what these delays are and then, and then just using a nice mindfulness technique to say, okay, I recognize this is what I'm trying to do or my brain is trying to do right now. And so I need to just let that thought move on through my brain and kind of get right back to the task at hand. How? Take small steps, whatever it is. Open the computer, um, put your name on the top of the paper and be okay with just a few minutes be, be okay with just a few minutes of working toward whatever the thing is that you're putting off. Um, and, and, and that's when we start to kind of build again this inner wealth that will help us start to move forward and, and not get stuck in this procrastination uh, loop or this, you know, this, we're, we're trying to solve this procrastination puzzle. Um, let me just go through a few more things and we'll kind of wrap this one up. There's a, there's a good article on psychology today. It's by Elizabeth Lombardo and it's 11 ways to overcome pres- procrastination. This is from March of last year. And I just thought I'd go over a few of these, some of the ones that I really enjoyed that I appreciate. Um, one of them is get, getting rid of c- catastrophizing. So this is that concept of just like doing the work of whatever this is, whatever the thing that we're putting off, um, it, that we make just this huge deal out of something that it's just going to be this nightmare to get started. And we just, we create these just un, almost unrealistic expectations and, and, and just like how much it's going to take or how boring or how painful it will be to complete this task. So, but the underlying theme, she says, is that the doing the task is going to be unbearable. So she says, in reality, challenges, boredom, and hard work will not kill you, or they won't even make you sick. Procrastination, on the other hand, as we identified earlier, is associated with stress. So think of the stress you feel when you avoid making a phone call that you know you need to make. So keep things in perspective. This is not my favorite task, but I can get through it. So get rid of catastrophizing. Things aren't going to, you know, we don't have to make these things so um, built up in our head. Uh, Let's just move forward and, and do the task. Uh, just going to jump on a few more for the sake of time. Number three, she talked about is get out your calendar. I did skip number two for anybody that was paying attention there. Uh, number two was uh, focus on your why. And uh, um, so that's basically instead of focusing on um, why you're doing your task, it's it's what are the benefits of completing it. But I really like number three, projects that will get done, quote, when I have time. We talked about this earlier, right? I will do it when I have time, tend to not get done very often, if ever. Sometimes we do need to schedule when we're going to work on a project and block out the time just like we would in an important meeting. There's, a, there's another book, and I'm drawing a blank on, but it, it, it has this concept where oftentimes we, don't, we, we, just, we always have these tasks and these things that we don't necessarily want to do just looming in the horizon, and that's why we put them off. But at times, we need to just schedule in all of the, the things we enjoy about our activities. I have to tell you, my calendar, um, and some people might say it's, it's a bit uh, obsessive, but uh, I found over time I have to have a very 
solid calendar. And in my calendar, I have all of my work-related obligations, my speaking-related obligations, and I build in there all of my family-related obligations. Every every game, every play, every every singing performance, you name it, I'm, I'm putting that in the calendar. And I want to see it in my calendar um, because I need to be able to look forward to those things. Having all of those things in the calendar helps me create nice, healthy boundaries. But then in, in it also um, shows my family. I mean, I, I, I want to be there at everything that I can be. But it also gives me something to look forward to. So when you kind of change that perspective of not that, man, you know, this work stuff's getting in the way. If you are looking at it like, here are all these fun things or the, these life events that I'm excited about. And then I will schedule in the work-related things that even sometimes from a mind shift, from a, a mindset, that helps a lot. So get out the calendar. And uh, when it's time to do the work, even set a timer if you need to. So you can be in focused on the entire allotted time. I have a really cool timer in my office. My clients will know about this one big time. Um, it's from a company called Time Timer. And, and it uh, isn't even designed for therapy. But it just shows a visual representation of whatever the amount of time is. This little red that disappears as the clock uh, twists around. And so oftentimes, if I know I have 40 minutes before a client or 30 minutes before an interview, um, I'll set that for, you know, I'll set that that timer. And then I will know that that's how much time that I have. Um, and it kind of keeps me focused. Okay, let's go with a couple of more. Um, one, uh, or number five. Number four is be realistic. And, and there's, you know, that one's important too. I was going to skip past that one. But projects typically take much longer than we expect. And I run into that often where um, clients want to set aside a, an amount of time. And, um, and then just projects take longer. They just do. And I don't know there's a magic formula of you say, okay, I think it'll take an hour and then build in two. Um, that's going to, that's going to differ. It's going to, you know, everybody's going to be a little bit different with that one, but just kind of be realistic as you are setting up the schedule and just know that, that projects will take longer than expected. Number five that, uh, Elizabeth Lombardo says is chunk it. And this is breaking tasks into smaller, more manageable parts. Um, I, it, she even gives a nice example. If you want to write a book, you might want to choose to make an outline, identify each chapter, figure out the sections and commit to writing things one at a time. Chunking it down like this helps you feel less overwhelmed and more empowered. And I feel like that goes back to that. I love to, and I know I say it a lot. I've already said it once in this podcast, but oftentimes we just look at this entire A to Z. We look through that lens and let's just go from A to B and just count on when we get to B, things might look a little bit different and that's okay. And then we'll kind of go from there, B to C, C to D. Uh, six excuses be gone. And we've already talked about that one. That's why I'm kind of skipping this one. She said, do these sound familiar? I need to be in the mood. I need to wait until I have time. I work better under pressure. Um, we've already, we've already tackled that, right? That is no longer going to be a problem. Number seven, get a partner. Nothing better than an accountability buddy at times. Um, just find somebody that will help you be accountable. And, but then also then you need to be honest with them. Uh, this is where that self-awareness thing comes in. Um, optimizing your environment. I feel like at times this can actually become more of a form of procrastination where, you know, I will say, okay, people need a different uh, app or they need a different daytime or they need a different note system. I am very big into the, hey, it's okay if you're going from one to the next to the next, just make sure that doesn't become just an excuse. Uh, well, the reason I'm not getting things done is because I need a day timer. I mean, because I think I've done that four or five times or a different app or that sort of thing. Um, what you can do is whatever you kind of uh, jump onto, whatever list, whatever task application, whatever day timer, um, stay with it and just kind of bring some awareness around what works or what doesn't work with it and just be honest with yourself. What can you do around that? 
I do like this part though, that she says about optimizing your environment. She said, uh, during your schedule block of time, choose or, or choose to close your email, your messenger stuff, your phone, or even put it on do not disturb, but, and, and try and try your best not to get on the web until you completed the task. Um, because boy, I have sure been guilty of just, you know, I'm going to go check a quick score and then something happened in a game and I want to see a highlight and then I'm seeing the highlight and then there's other highlights and, and, uh, before you know it, half an hour is gone. And then you, you know, let's say you only had an hour to do some task and it's almost like you cross this magical 30 minute mark when you get to minute 31. Now it's like, man, I don't really have enough time, so I'll do it tomorrow. Right. Does that sound unfamiliar? Um, she talks about number nine, rewarding good behavior. I'm a, I'm a fan of that. Number 10 though, forgive yourself. And I just wrote in big caps on my notes, mindfulness, stop beating yourself up about the past thoughts such as I should have started earlier, or I always procrastinate, or I'm such a loser only make matters worse. Research shows that forgiving yourself for past procrastination will help you stop putting off working on a task. Remember that is basically your brain, even hijacking you working on the task is beating yourself up about it. Uh, she talks about how some people do try to use past procrastination to your advantage, um, determining, but, and this is where awareness comes in. I call this reviewing the game film and that is determine what went into your avoidance. Was it fear? Was it stress? Was it not having a good understanding of how to progress? And let me just stop there. I think a lot of that happens too, where I think a lot of times people don't want to be vulnerable. If they don't really understand a task they've been asked to complete, uh, they don't want to go ask somebody, especially if they put it off, right? And then they wait till like a day or two before the project is due. And then all of a sudden they, they think, oh my gosh, I haven't even looked at this thing and I don't really know much about it. You know, it is better to be vulnerable and say, hey, my bad, but I don't 100% sure know what I'm doing rather than to just think, oh my gosh, it's a day or two before. What are people going to think if I now tell them, hey, I'm just looking at this. I mean, so that's where we just got to own it. Just just own your own stuff and uh, and just be vulnerable and and ask questions. I mean, do. So, so that does help. And then the last thing that she talks about is drop the perfectionism. Um, perfectionism, remember, is this all or nothing mentality. And that is big in the world of procrastination because a lot of people do feel like, especially if they already, you know, they will tell themselves, I'm going to do this project different because I really want it to, to go well, or I want to show people that I know what I'm doing or what I'm talking about. So then the more that they put it off, then the more here now this, this all or nothing mentality comes in. It's like, okay, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to give this all of the intention that I want to. Therefore, it will be bad. And uh, then it's going to be a failure. People with perfectionistic tendencies do tend to wait until things are perfect in order to proceed, which kind of feeds back to that thing we were talking about earlier, just waiting for this, you know, the perfect storm of all everything to go right in their lives to begin. So if it's not perfect, then in theory, you cannot be finished. Or if it's not the perfect time, then you believe you can't start. So just be aware of that uh, all or nothing mentality and, and setting yourself up with these excellent conditions because you want to do that. But at the same time, the focus needs to be on getting the job done. And a little bit of vulnerability to end this thing, too. I mean, I have to tell you, I wanted to do and I've, I've shared this. I wanted to do this podcast for so long and put it off and uh, put it off for a couple of years, even after I think that I was really ready to do it. And a lot of that was this kind of this um, perfectionism. Uh, it was hard because a lot of this stuff, I'm just talking. Um, I could have a, a slightly different, um, well, I would, I have basically a completely different podcast if I hit stop and then I just grabbed all my notes and put them back in front of me again and started talking again. There might be different experiences that come to mind or different sayings or thoughts. And that's hard. It's hard to record something like that and then just release it out into the interwebs and say, there you go. When, you know, at times then I want to, you know, here comes that uh, imposter syndrome where I, I think, okay, man, did I even make sense? Or, or there are things I should have said differently or that sort of thing. But uh, drop the perfectionism because that is one of those main things that leads to procrastination. So I am, I, I, I'm, I hope you're still with me. 
Uh, and I hope that you got something from this. I highly recommend that book, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, or check it out, procrastination.ca. Look up uh, Dr. Tim Pitchell. And, and boy, his name is a different. It, Pitchell is spelled P-Y-C-H-Y-L. Again, Timothy A. Pitchell, P-Y-C-H-Y-L. But regardless, if anything, just bring a little bit more awareness to your own procrastination. And, and just, just don't beat yourself up. Um, get rid of the shame. Take little steps. Use some of these principles we've talked about. I spent a few minutes there, I know, talking about these six types of delays and why you should know them. And that's really more of just a, I mean, it scratched a little bit of the gee whiz factor for me. I can't lie. But I think that we, ought, we need to recognize that sometimes there are delays that are real that, that, that come up last minute. Sometimes there's these hedonistic delays where we just want this instant gratification. And sometimes there's just delays that come out of fear or this all or nothing mentality. And, uh, and just noting those is going to help, help kind of what do we do next with those. But if you, if you get anything out of this, it's just start, start moving the ball forward a little bit. Um, just take little, take out these little chunks and then, and then reward yourself. Give yourself credit for the work that you're doing. And, uh, I am grateful again, as always, that you are, that you, uh, you spend your time with me and, um, look forward to, uh, talking with you next time on the virtual couch. And our leading us out today again is Aurora Florence with It's Wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most you